Hey, Bubblies. I'm your TV watching and talking host of this podcast, My Streaming Bubble, Jen, and welcome to the third mini bubble for the Doctor Who 60th anniversary specials. So we're going to get right into it. So let's make sure we double check those rules and get ready to spice up our lives with spoilers from The Giggle. All right. So I have finished watching The Giggle for the third time. <laughs> I'm, I did manage to get in a third watching of this one. And oh, my God, these were some pretty stellar specials. I loved the trilogy, the three part of it. <sighs> All right. Yay, Sarge is no longer sitting between me and the computer and the microphone. That's nice. But he is now under an end table with one of those like scratchy board things that may have been refilled with catnip the other day. So <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be better. Uh, but let's see, where was I? Uh, just, okay, so these specials were fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed all three of them. It's really hard to kind of say which one is my top favorite right now because the Star Beast was great because we get reintroduced to these characters. Uh, Donna gets her memory back, and that just makes me ever so happy, ever so delighted and giddy. Uh, the second one, uh, Wild Blue Yonder, was a great classic, like New Who classic creepy. And you just, I don't know, you either really love those or maybe you don't if that's not your thing. And that's fine. But for like family friendly, for a family friendly series, those creepy ones can be really fucking creepy. And I love it. And then this one we get, I think we get like a dash of that creepy because at least for me, dolls, marionettes, puppets, and a few Muppets, just they freak me out. They can all fuck off. Uh, <laughs> but oddly enough, I really enjoyed the Stooky, Stooky Sue, the little rhyme that she says as she's like getting ready to attack Donna and then the Stooky Babies. That was just because I don't like the dolls. I, I hated slash loved that part because it was just like a right amount of creepy. Donna was amazing. She is. She's been top form in these specials. She's she gets her memory back. She's got a little bit of the uh, meta crisis, I think, like kind of residual. She sort of remembers some of the stuff uh, that she saw that the doctor's been through and that really just helped play to her strengths. And it's like she gets her memory back. She just jumps right into everything and to being a companion. And almost, I mean, shit, maybe even better than her first time around because she's she's ready. She's missed this. She realizes what she missed out on. And she's not afraid. And she's and not that she was afraid before or anything, but really understanding what she's getting herself into, what the assignment is, and just the way she just kind of ups her game in these in these specials. And again, that's not to say like she wasn't amazing during her season cuz she was, obviously, she's my favorite. But like just top form here. One of my favorite Donna moments is when they're trying to suss out the the seven notes. Uh, in the background so like there you know there's there's something in the giggle and you know she looks at it from a different perspective of music notes 
and what her experience is with reading music. And that was trying to teach Rose the recorder and then Rose being like, it's not who I am. And that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, so she figures out the music thing. And then uh, Mad Auntie Mel's, I love that, figures out, you know, it's just a simple arpeggio. And then they link it to the giggle and all of that. So that so her scenes between that one and like the Stooky Sue were amazing. Oh, and then, of course, when uh, the doctor and the toy maker finally kind of have that sit down and everything kind of starts uh, crumbling or whatever. <laughs> and the doctor yells, Donna. And she's like already running like she's on it. She is on her fucking game in these in these specials. And I I couldn't be more thrilled with it. Uh, let's see. Oh, MPH as the toy maker was just a fucking delight. I thought, I thought he was perfect for this. He, a, a, a nice mix of kind of creepy and scary and whimsical, but like that creepy whimsical, right? And just, just the way he keeps fucking with the doctor. And then of course, like, yeah, again, with the um, puppet, the ventriloquist dummy or whatever, Stooky Bill, I didn't like that. <laughs> so to have that kind of be his main toy for the episode, I thought worked all very well. And then I also thought MPH's um, uh, magician-y background also fit very well for him to play this character. Because, you know, he's sitting there like doing the card shuffles and everything, a little kind of card trick type stuff. Uh, and I just thought it was cool. It it. it absolutely fits so and then the way he just kind of switches back and forth between the different accents and how he's just kind of in this state of play always but like a menacing state of play so I love it they did such such a great job and then again kind of explaining how the toy maker was able to come through again because of what the doctor did in wild blue yonder and invoking the salt superstition and then it wasn't lost on me at the end when uh, they get the toy maker back in the box and Kate says to uh, hide the box, you know, bury it in like one of the deepest vaults and bind it in salt. So I was just like, aha. Uh -huh. So I wonder how much of this salt superstition is going to come into play in the next season. If it's just going to continue to be mentioned kind of thing. Or even if Mavity is mentioned again. Ooh, fun. With all of that said, I will go ahead and just try and hit up some of my more favorite moments and points and thoughts from this episode. Try to go a little bit more chronologically. So a couple of things from the beginning, uh, when the gentleman goes in to the toy maker shop to purchase this, the Bill doll, um, Stooky Bill puppet or whatever, and the toy maker says that uh, real that the doll has real hair that he put on there from a woman that no longer needed it. I feel like there's like, that's pretty fucking sinister, but I feel like there's more to that story. I mean, obviously. Right. But I'm kind of curious who was the woman. I, I don't <laughs> like, how did he dispatch of her? Like, did he just murder her? She played a game and lost kind of thing is what I'm assuming. Uh, whether you consider that murder or just a lifelong torture. But it just made me, I just, it kind of perked my ears. And I was like, oh, all right, that's, that makes me uncomfortable. And I like it. Uh, speaking of uh, likable uncomfortableness, <laughs> when 
Uh, when the guy gets the Stucky Bill back to uh, his employer, John Logie Bard. I have to say, though, every time they said his name, I kept thinking they were saying John Yogi Bear. Sorry. Thank you, closed captioning, for keeping me on the path of literacy. Sure. But when they're when they're filming it and then and because of all the lights and everything and it catches fire and then the the mouth pops open there's just something very much about the look of Stucky Bill being filmed that black and white with kind of the lines going down that just I don't know it made me it made me it kind of reminded me of like some American horror story intro kind of shit like I could just hear the theme music kick in over that and then kind of go in so I did enjoy that. And as much as, like I said, marionettes, dolls, puppets, and some Muppets just freak me the fuck out. I like being freaked the fuck out. And these are definitely ones that will always do the trick. I I loved it. It was, it was spooky. So, and then we, we pop back into, so that's kind of how the uh, episode opens with a flashback to 1925 with the toy maker and the TV inventor, John Logie Bard, not Yogi Bear. And then we pop back into today, uh, 2023, all hell is breaking loose. And, and granted, we don't, we don't see Wilf. We don't really get Wilf in this episode. Uh, and and you know what? I am I am okay with that. Obviously, I would have loved more Wilf in all of these episodes, but I am just thankful that he was able, Bernard Cribbins was able to film his spots for the special and that we got what we got because it it had to have been maybe the most emotional moment, at least for me. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of hard to choose, but it was... It was beautifully done, kind of a, a less is more kind of thing, but but all hell's breaking loose. Unit just appears, right? And so Donna's like, you know, get granddad safe and and then Unit takes the TARDIS and Doctor and Donna and always gotta love having a TARDIS swinging from a unit helicopter during an anniversary special. I mean, it's kind of a staple, right? Like they kind of have to keep doing that. But yeah, so then they start figuring out that it's the giggle. Everyone's all connected online, so everyone's got access to screens, even more than we actually do. That's, is that terrifying? But then this, they suss out there's something in, there's something with the giggle that's making people behave in outrageous, violent ways. They become petty and mean. And for some reason, that kind of gave me like a black mirror feel, feel to it. So, yeah, so we get to Unit Tower, and they're just, Unit is out and proud and just boldly and bravely being like, we're here to protect the world. We're not going to be secret anymore. And they couldn't do it in a better building but the old Avengers Tower building. <laughs> I'm all for reduce, reusing, and recycle, but... <laughs> They had to use the Avengers Tower, Stark Tower. I don't give a shit. I fucking love it. <laughs> uh, but they land on that big helipad and everything. And and uh, we get 
uh, reintroduced to Kate Lethbridge-Stewart. But the way that she was like walking towards the doctor, I totally thought she was going to go up and slap him. But instead, she slapped him with a hug, which is even nicer. So I just I kind of loved how she was how how they brought her back in this episode. She's got like that fierce determination, but clearly happy, relieved and probably a bit excited to have the doctor there to help them with this problem because she says, you know, I fought them all, you know, aliens and bugs and and Daleks and everything, but how do you fight the human race? And that is an excellent question. I mean, the human race is doing a pretty good job of finding ways to fight itself, but from a big governmental military perspective when there's like this major threat like this, what do you do? So I just kind of liked how that was framed. It feels very bleak, right? And like there there really is no hope. There's nothing we can do. It's, oh, it's so tricky. But of course, you know, they find a way. And, and during all of this, we are introduced or reintroduced to a former companion, Mel's. And as someone who has not watched like any of the classic Who, I still really appreciate when they bring in past doctors, past companions, and they really bring it all in and tie it all together. So I I guess I kind of hope and assume that Classic Who fans also enjoy these moments. It just, I don't know, it feels, I don't know, I appreciate it. Hopefully they appreciate it on that kind of deeper level. Uh, oh, and then, you know, we also have, we also get Shirley back. So it's the, uh, it's Mel and the 14th Doctor and Donna all, uh, a small bit of reminiscing and the word companion is brought up and Donna says something about like, Oh, don't say companion makes it sound like we parked down the wharf or whatever. And at first I thought she meant park as in like making out. And so when she asked Shirley, if is park rude, I was like, in, in the context of like making out, because I don't know anyone that still uses that term. I prefer the term necking. Uh, but I don't know anyone that still uses that either. Do kids go out and like make out in cars like on back highways or, you know, lover's lane or whatever? Like, is that a thing? Either way, I don't know. I don't think that's what she meant. Either way, I do love that she says it. Donna says the line and then turns to Shirley and asks, is that rude? And Shirley's like, borderline. And Donna's reaction of kind of that cringing back, that kind of sucking air through her teeth sound of like, oh shit, I didn't mean to be rude. And I love that. I love seeing more of this like growth in Donna of being open and wanting to know if she's doing good, you know, doing well with not being offensive or not being rude and kind of doing that double checking. And then, you know, maybe feeling a little bad because she hadn't realized that you know, the park, you know, the way she used park was borderline rude for um, wheelchair users. And because she also had a moment in Wild Blue Yonder, too, where when they realize that the captain is orbiting the ship and. And uh, she I think she like assumes pronouns or something or she says, I think she goes, she says she or is it he or they she tries to correct her own pronoun usage and then the doctor's like oh it's the the captain was a she but either way i love that we have these moments with donna 
where we see that she is trying to be better and do better. And I thought that was great to see. But again, I don't understand the context in which uh, Donna was using the word park, like park a vehicle. Anyway, I loved it. (laughs) I loved the way uh, I love. I just love Donna's reaction. It seemed very like sincere and everything. So. And then they want to show the doctor how this giggle is affecting everyone and making them go cuckoo banana. So they shut off. So they've got unit has these armbands. Uh, Mel's doesn't need one. She's been fine. Donna hasn't been uh, affected. Um, And so, of course, it's prolonged exposure from being in the TARDIS and time vortex and out of sync and yada, yada. I love the Dr. Who we, we explanations. It's it, they're fine. It's fine. <laughs> so Kate wants to, dem- so Kate demonstrates what happens and they deactivate her armband and she kind of slowly kind of eases into just being mean and just, I mean, talk about being fucking rude, but just holy shit. And she says, you know, she she calls out the doctor, you know, we, we're supposed to trust this alien who changes his face. And like, you know, fair point. But also at the same time, you know better. And and the comments that she makes to Shirley and then they reactivate the armband and, and she's immediately apologizes, you know, to Shirley. And Shirley's like, absolutely no apology needed, completely understanding the the situation. But yeah, Kate yells like, I've seen you walking. And I feel like, I don't know, I kind of feel like this moment was for the people that were going to pick up on Shirley crossing her legs in the Star Beast. Like, like the writers knew there were going to be people that were going to call that out or whatever, just be poopy heads about it. And so I I just kind of liked how this was almost like a pre-prepared rebuttal to that. Um, anyway, enough about that. On to the next point. Still a bit more of a, (laughs) not too ranty, I hope, but, you know, they, they've got these armbands and to help stave off the, um, the giggle infecting and making people like rage out and everything. And and the doctor, (laughs) I feel like the doctor should have known better (laughs) being like a million years old naively asks like well can't you just get people to wear them and Kate's like it's not that easy and they show the clip of uh, like a news clip or whatever and a lady being like they're using these to control our minds and blah 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 and it's like it's so obvious right that these anti-Zedics people in Doctor Who are clearly (laughs) clearly represent the like anti-mask anti-vax people like Let's not do what's best for everybody, not just strangers and friends and family member, but what's also best for us because having a shite opinion and spewing it is more important. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it was it was pretty spot on. It was pretty easy to pick up on, so I'm not going to spend a whole hell of a lot of time on that. But what I would like a little more information on is this Vlinx. I think that's what they're called. The, you know, the alien or whatever used to link to these Z-Dexes or something. We just get a quick shot of it and it does speak. So it's not like it's being held against its will or anything like that. It seems to 
kind of want to help or whatever. A little bit more about them. Kind of interesting. Just curious. Just curious is all I guess. Um, let's see. Oh, I just got a few more Donna's kicking ass points. Uh, the way Kate offers her a job for a unit and then the way Donna so easily negotiates her salary. Kate offers her, I think, what, like 60000 I don't know. A fair amount, I guess. A decent amount. <laughs> I don't know. We're all broke. But uh, Donna easily is just like, no, how about 100000 or whatever, plus all these vacation days and yada, yada. And Kate's just like, yep. So I love knowing that Donna is going to be set up for life, basically. She's going to be able to use some of her Dr. Donnering. That didn't come out right. Um, <laughs> she's going to use the experience and her knowledge from being a companion to the doctor to the best use. Um, Mel is also working for UNIT because once she decided to come back from traveling the stars and living a, living a life, um, all her family was gone. So, you know, the toy maker at one point refers to as the orphan and that's kind of sad, but at the same time, it's, she, she is older. She had, she had lived a life and now she has a new found family and that's with the noble temples. But, but again, the way Donna, uh, is tries to talk to the doctor about how he hasn't stopped and how he's just staggering along and still kind of questioning, like, why did this face come back? And I love how much like she cares about him and he cares about her and just the bestie vibes. I love it. I love it so much. It is such kind of a nice, refreshing relationship. Um, cause as I'm going through and doing all my rewatch of the uh, the new who's, uh, it's, it gets a little tiring <laughs> with everyone trying to fancy everyone fancy in the doctor and everything. So I think that's always been one of the main reasons why Donna was, uh, my favorite was because the relationship was purely platonic besties for life. She came into Ten's life when he needed it the most and had, I think maybe a bigger impact than Rose. Uh, and then of course, when, they encounter the toy maker in 1925 Soho in his toy shop. And he's like just throwing that ball back and forth with the doctor. And then Donna just catches it. She's like, enough. I am loving the 60th anniversary special Donna Nobles. I said that wrong. And then uh, so through all of that, they're they're within the uh, time maker's realm and everything. And so the doctor doing what the doctor does, tries to save his companion tells her to return to the TARDIS and she's just kind of taken back. She's like, you, you never tell me to do that. And it makes me wonder if it's, it's not just maybe a comment on her ability, but I think also where the doctor is uh, with this 14th regeneration, the doctor has lost so many people. Eleven sends Clara to the TARDIS a couple of times and, you know, ditches her. But I feel like that line coming from 14 was the experience of all of the doctors between 10 and 14 uh, that just couldn't stand, can't stand the idea of losing another person, another person so important to them, especially this person that they just got back. But I loved, I, I love that kind of show of concern and even Donna shocked to it. So 
So she does it and yada yada. And then we enter the Scooby-Doo hallway. Woohoo! And <laughs> that's like the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh my God, I hope they do a running back and forth. Not really, but either way, I think that still would have been too cheesy. I don't think enough. I think I might have been the I might be the only person that would have enjoyed that. But then the doctor starts kind of uh thinking about how thinking about how he met messed up when he was younger. I loved that too. And they showed like the little flashbacks of like the first doctor and the toy maker and kind of back and forth. And oh, he was so young and he thought he was so being so clever. But, you know, so he so the doctor had defeated the toy maker, and now the toy maker somehow came back. Doctor surmises that it's because of the salt at the edge of existence, invoking the superstition and basically playing a game and letting him in. And I thought that was really interesting. I really, really liked that explanation. Out of all the Doctor Who Wooey explanations in these three episodes, I think this one was my favorite. Um, but I kind of I'm enjoying seeing this like the 14th Doctor kind of going through this existential crisis of like who am i why this face what man what kind of person what kind of time lord am i now and his whole like questioning who he is and what he is without his toys i just i loved it again i'm sorry for how many times i say i love the things in these episodes but i mean hopefully y'all have listened to enough past episodes to know that i can't help but love everything i'm so sorry But they have him and Donna have this nice little moment in the hallway uh, and where he says, I don't think I can save you this time. And he's so, so scared about that possibility. And then when Donna says, well, maybe I'll save you. On my first watch, that line scared the shit out of me. (laughs) I was like, I swear to God, if we lose Donna, I'm going to fucking lose it. Um. But in the end, we do see that she saves him and probably in the best way possible. Um, And then Donna shares a piece of advice from her dad about, you know, the game. Something I wish I wrote it down, but the game doesn't know what the dice did the last time. And you start from scratch every time. And I really liked that. And I liked I liked that the doctor was even like, "Ooh, ooh, I like that. Good call, you know, dad for some reason felt very 13 to me. I don't know why. Cause again, I'm not fam- as familiar with that doctor, but there was just something about it that screamed more 13 than even 11 or 12. But so they, so they're going through, they ended up getting separated in the Scooby-Doo hallway and kind of have to face this part also kind of reminded me a little bit of um the 11 and the weird ass hotel with the rooms of nightmares. Um, probably maybe just because of the going through the doors and everything. And then Donna and the doctor are separated, and that's when she encounters um Stucky Sue and the really creepy but fun. I liked the rhyme. I liked the little story of like the Stucky family. <laughs> and then of course, uh Donna and her rhyme with Ghana and then bashes the shit out of Stucky Sue. Amazing and then threatens the the babies, the Stucky babies. And they're just like, nope. But they they're eventually they be they are bleh. they're eventually reunited uh when Donna defeats the Stookie family. Uh and and meanwhile the doctor is off and he he encounters the inventor's uh employee assistant or whatever. 
the one who picked up the doll in the first place, who was the first one to hear the giggle. And we see that he played a game with the toy maker, lost, and now he is a marionette. And he dances and prances whenever the toy maker wants him to. And I loved it. It felt very nightmare So again, maybe that's why this Scooby-Doo hallway in these rooms reminded me of God Complex, that episode. So after they both experience these two rooms, they open a door and boom, there they are. And they're so excited to be reunited. And I'm just like, every after everything you just went through, you're just going to openly embrace each other? <laughs> I would have been so hesitant. <laughs> I'd been like, wait a minute. I know there are no shape-shifting not things or doppelgangers around right now, but you are in the toy maker's realm where... Anything is kind of possible in a realm governed by play. So now they, Doctor and Donna, are reunited. They encounter the toy maker and his little uh, marionette play about everything the Doctor has been through. And mentions a handful of the past companions. And he mentions Amy Pond. Oh, those redheads. And uh, (laughs) now she died and he clips the strings and I just, I couldn't help but chuckle, but to be like, no Rory, huh? So I think we all know that that would have been too many puppets. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how strong the toy maker's vocal cords are where he could continue to scream. Well, that's all right then. Um, And I loved that. That was so just that I loved it I loved it so much very just kind of like jarring throughout this like storytelling process of these these companions um but then I thought it was kind of interesting because the toy maker then talks just about flux and you know the planets and he's clipping the strings of the planets and everything but not a lot specifically about 13 or her companions and I guess I guess I kind of just chalked it up to because assuming this is why, but like because most of 13's companions lived, right? With the exception of Ryan's gran, which I guess that's fine. Companions can live every once in a while. <laughs> like they don't have to like <laughs> be zapped back into time or trapped in a moment of time or just have a saved consciousness and just be an echo for all of time. And I mean no disrespect, but is like, is the are the timeless child and flux episodes the only things noteworthy for thirteen, or is it just that those are gonna play the most, have like the biggest impact at least for fourteen because of kind of going through and covering the past and fourteen kind of still dealing with his his shit. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was curious does not sell it on me rewatching 13's one no, I'm so sorry <laughs> but I will definitely get in the flux episodes in Timeless Child because I think I just need to rewatch Timeless Child like 18 more times to get where they're where they were going with it and then seeing how it's all going to play in with all the stuff since then um but yeah, so for the first two episodes of the specials, um, I, I'm i thinking, you know, oh, maybe it's the master pulling the strings. Because <laughs> um, 
Of course, right? But then we find out from the toy maker that the toy maker beat the master and sealed him into his gold tooth, which is interesting. Did the master kind of almost makes me wonder if the master didn't lose on purpose because of after the doctor defeats the toy maker and the gold tooth falls, we see someone pick it up. So maybe it's been part of the plan all along. But I all of a sudden remembered that Jinx Monsoon has been cast to play a Doctor Who villain. So it made me think that maybe whoever this character is, uh, is the one that picked up the gold tooth. And when I looked up pictures of what the costume looks like, because I was like, there was like something musical about it. And sure shit, piano keys on it. It's like a piano key necktie gone awry. Um, and then, of course, with like the music notes, the arpeggio within of the giggle are all kind of pointing to this music based villain. So I'm going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how that's all going to tie together. Um, I'm assuming Jinx's villain is also maybe who the Meep was talking about, but maybe not. Maybe there's still another boss. That would seem a little messy. That would seem like a little too much. So I think I'm going to roll with the Meep was also talking about uh, this yet to be met villain. Um. Oh, oh. And we get one of the most fun musical numbers. <laughs> and that is NPH lip syncing to the Spice Girls, uh, Spice Up Your Life. And immediately I was like, ha take that Rasputin master. Side note, that song ended up on my Spotify wrapped. I wish I could blame just the children but I played a role in that too. It was very catchy. And then every time I heard the song, I just thought about uh, the scene in Doctor Who where the masters Rasputin and they're dancing. And then there's always that funny exchange of like the Dalek and the Cyberman kind of looking at each other like, what the fuck? Which is interesting because they don't really have faces to express that. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it just, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. It felt, it felt pretty on par with a character that's all about like fucking with people. Um, and then as he's dancing around and a couple of uh, unit soldiers uh, die, then Kate's like, open fire. And they start shooting, but it's just flower petals coming out. And then they keep shooting. Like, don't do that. <laughs> Clearly it's ineffective. <laughs> but I loved all the petals flying around. Uh, NPH doing like a snow angel thing in the pedals and he just looked like he was having so much fun with that scene. I imagine it took a bunch of takes because of how he's kind of all over the place. Uh, the character is, um, but I, it still had to have been a blast. He definitely looked like he was having all of the fun. So definitely a musical number within an episode that I approve of. And and just kind of one more reason for me to think that maybe Jinx's villain is going to be the big bad um, and kind of the the boss of Toymaker and Meep. So we'll see. Um, oh, yeah. And then real quick, Doctor saying that the Donna is the uh, she's no one's faster on a keyboard. 
So I love it. I love that her temp skills are still coming in super handy and she's got whatever the 1 billion words per minute. And again, another, another sign of just them being besties and uplifting and supporting each other. Love to see it. So then now we are reaching kind of the main climax of it. We're getting close to the regeneration. And I don't think as ready as we were, I don't think we were ever really ready. Um, but they get outside. The Toy Master has taken control of like the great big laser gun thingy. And I don't know why, but when he's had uh when the toy maker said something about he has the big laser with the big bang and the big boom, the way he said it with that German accent kind of in a playful, silly way. I don't know why I felt so called out with that line and that delivery, but I did. And that's on me. I get that. But I'm like, that's exactly something I would do. (laughs) I'm such an asshole. And then, okay, so I have a question. If, big time if, if the toy maker actually went with uh, the 14th doctor, because the doctor's like you and me, playing games for all of eternity. What do you think 14 was actually going to do with him? Since 14 can't fucking sit still and can't stop running, how would he have double-crossed the toy maker? Because I feel like something like that would have happened. And maybe not necessarily like, you know, kill the toy maker or something, but trick him, trap him or something, or do this game playing until he wins or something. I don't know. But I was like, what, what are you going to do? What a, what a nice idea. What the fuck are you going to do with him once you get him out there? Come on. So despite all of that, the toy maker starts firing and the doctor gets very upset. And I, you know, the line where he yells like, your fight is with me, all dramatic. Like, I just thought was another great way to show this theme of 14 not being able to let go, not being able to stop and taking everything on himself in an attempt to save everyone and save the world. Sure. Um, But that almost martyrism, (laughs) not really, but (laughs) just feeling that responsibility for all of human existence, right? Because the earth has always been under their protection And so in an attempt to try and take the toy maker's focus off of humanity, I get it. You know, your fight is with me. Focus on me. That very common when there's that uh, show off between the main baddie and the hero when there are casualties, civilian casualties at stake. All right. And that leads us up to the regeneration sort of. So I liked, I liked how all of this played out. I like that. Um, well, obviously I didn't like seeing the doctor get shot with the big giant laser. Oh, Sarge is getting super pissed at me. (laughs) I am taking too long. Apparently. Um, I'm almost done. If you jump up here, it's going to take so much longer. You looking like you can No. Okay. But the doctor Yeah, didn't like seeing the doctor get blasted with the laser. That hurt. Uh, And then 
his and then the regeneration process starts and Donna and and Mel's go go up there to let him know that he's not alone. He hasn't doesn't have to do it alone this time. And I love how Mel's told him that they were all fantastic. Every single one of them was fantastic. I see you nine. And then I loved I loved his line of it's time. Here we go again. Alonzi. All perfect. Um, I don't know how I would have felt if it was something, if the line was a little cheekier about the relating to him not wanting to go and now being ready to go. But he doesn't regenerate. Not in his, not in the traditional way, not in the way we all thought was going to happen, what we expected to happen. And he goes all pull my finger and he tells he tells the redheads to pull each direction and they pull him apart and oh, there's the 15th doctor. And I absolutely love this moment because we get we get all the what's of 10, right? That's always kind of like a, a running joke, reoccurring theme through through 10's run and even 14. But this time we get a no way from the 15th doctor. And I I loved how that line was delivered. There was there was joy and excitement in the no way rather than confused what the fuckery in the what's and how excited this doctor was and how confident 15 is in their existence. It's kind of really refreshing to see because, uh, you know, we've seen other other doctors kind of struggle a little bit with who they are. Uh, a lot of a lot of that with 12. 11 more or less is just kind of like just jumps right into it and is like, cool, we're doing this. Geronimo, sweet. Uh, even 10 a little bit. What kind of man is he? And then I just I love how they split. Uh, they they split their clothes, so 15 has just got the shirt and the sand shoes and then running around in his boxer briefs. <laughs> Super cute. <laughs> it was adorable. It really was. Uh, I think it's just because of all the excitement and how amped 15 was. Um, but I love this line. I love it. When 15 turns around and is all like, what the hell is going on here? I couldn't help but get like dad vibes and not daddy vibes, but more like, oh shit, dad's home vibes. Because he looked like he wasn't having any of it and <laughs> was ready to send everyone to their rooms without any supper. Uh, I loved it. Just, it was great. It was perfect. Um and while still different than some regenerations, still very doctory. I love that Mel's was like, oh, you're, you know, you're beautiful. And 14's all like, still beautiful. She's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then even Donna po pops her head around. She's like, oh, so you come in other colors? I, <laughs> calm down, Donna. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Um, and I'll I'll say again about uh, Donna with accepting this kind of with with accepting the regeneration and the new doctor. 
And maybe it helped because it ended up being the uh, by generation. So she keeps 10 slash 14 and is able to embrace 15, maybe making that a little easier. Although I think Donna is beyond that. I think uh, where where Donna is now is very much open and accepting to welcoming a new face. Different and change doesn't have to be bad. So I love that she really seemed to embrace more of like this positive side. And maybe in a way felt that finally uh, 10 slash 14 can rest. Now, I say 10 slash 14 because once the bi-generation happened, uh, David Tennant's doctor, according to closed caption, was just being named 10th. So I'm not sure what that was about. I mean, I understand they need to distinguish between the two doctors at this time, but why 10 and not 14? Curious. So then the doctors challenged the toy maker to a new game, Extreme Catch. That was that was the most intense game of catch I've ever seen. Um, but they defeat the toy maker. The 10th slash 14th doctor's prize, he says here, is that he banishes the toy maker out of existence and he folds up. And as he's folding up, he makes a comment about his legions are coming. So it's like, oh, shit, what does that mean? Who are his legions? If he already answers to, let's say, Jinx Monsoon's villain. Who are his? What is what's his legion? Who are his minions? Are they more puppets? Oh, and then Shudigawa as the doctor. So as I've said, I'm not familiar with any of his other work. Um, but seeing this, seeing him as the doctor in these few minutes of this third episode of the 60th anniversary specials, I'm like, all right, might be time to binge watch Sex Education. I heard he's brilliant. I heard I hear nothing but good things about that series, and I hear he's brilliant in it. So I might have to add that and just become that much more familiar with his body of work. But I I just, I have to say that I really, I am all about this younger looking older doctor um, because it, I think Shudi is doing a, it just in this little bit alone does an amazing job kind of encompassing the young and the old, the similar to how Matt Smith could do young and old for the 11th Doctor. Um, there's just a sage, uh, like a wise sage piece to him, which is comforting and relaxing. And that it's the, the bi-generation, because it's a bi-generation and not a regeneration, uh, and it didn't happen in the TARDIS, the TARDIS isn't crashing, uh, it's not going all haywire and everything. And so it starts off a lot less stressful. And I I think that's amazing. And I feel like, I don't know, I just, like I've said before in this episode, it was kind of a breath of fresh air, just something a little different, something I guess maybe a little more positive, not to say that any of the other regenerations have ever been negative or anything, but when the doctor regenerates in the TARDIS and it starts to crash and they're just kind of thrown into like, oh shit, how do I fly this thing? 
oh shit, I'm crashing. Uh, it's it's stressful. <laughs> I can't imagine starting a life like that. <laughs> but I love, I just, I love how like Zen uh, 15 is. And 15 tells uh, 10 slash 14 that it's because uh, 14 does the work. Now 14 ends up fixing themselves. He says, uh, 15 says, I'm fine because you fix yourself. And then they're time lords and they're doing it all out of order. Timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly kind of stuff. Uh, and it's good to know that 10 slash 14 fixes himself and puts in the work, prioritizes himself, does the self-care and just gets to leisurely retire with the Noble Temple family. And I love that. Then they're trying to figure out, you know, 10 slash 14 is going to try. They're in the TARDIS and trying to figure out, like, how is this going to work with the two doctors and everything? And I love that 15 just kind of has this knowing look on his face. And just really and kind of steps back and lets Donna and 10 slash 14 have that moment where Jen happy, ugly cries. They come to the decision that 15 will be the one to fly off with the with the TARDIS and continue to save the world, the universe, all of human, all of existence. Uh, Donna is like, yeah, maybe you should retire. I mean, your older self is telling you how you haven't stopped. You need a chair in your TARDIS. I mean, 12 had a chair. I think even 10 had like the seats, 11 and 12, or no, uh, 10 and 11 had like the um, aisle, like movie theater seats or something. But I liked that comment because the way that the this new TARDIS is set up with 14, how the TARDIS set up for 14 very much like constantly going, no place to sit, uh, just a lot more open air and more open running around to never have to stop. But this is when, this is when Donna comes to the conclusion she has sussed out why the doctor has regenerated into Ten's face. Oh, but she says, you know, you changed your face. And then you found me. And I think I know why. And that's to come home. And I swear to God, I'm going to start crying because it was so just lovely. This is exactly what the doctor needs. I mean, yes, Donna and her family also will enjoy this time. But for once, the doctor gets to retire with a family. You know, it's it's just the sweetest fucking thing. And of all the families to retire with, right? The nobles. I love that he goes around and names them off as all different family family members. Uh, Rose being his favorite niece, because of course, it's the name I know. <laughs> but he... He gets to retire with his his found family, his favorite niece, Rose, mad, mad Auntie Mel's, uh, his best friend, Donna, his brother-in-law, and his mean mother-in-law. <laughs> I love Sylvia. It's just like, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then we don't see Granddad, but he's off uh, off screen shooting at the moles. <laughs> God. 
office, of course. <laughs> so we just get the occasional gunfire. Uh, <laughs> but I love that, you know, because of the bi-generation, this finally does give 10 slash 14 that chance to rest and finally feel like all of existence isn't on their shoulders and they can go off and enjoy these fun, quick romps with their family. Um, But yeah, without this pressure to save the world, because 15's going to do it, 10 slash 14 just gets to enjoy the fun stuff. And not worry about if they travel to Mars, if they run into danger, that he has to be the one to save them because his priority now is his family. And so if they were to pop off to Mars, there was a threat. I know for goddamn sure 10 slash 14 would shove Rose right back into the TARDIS and they would zip on out of there because otherwise Donna and Sylvia would fucking kill him. So it's just, it's really nice to see, you know, Eleven had a family. He had a wife and in-laws. <laughs> and he didn't get to spend time with his family. Uh, Rose got her humany womany doctor. So it's fitting for Donna, this older, more lived Donna, to get a healing, gonna be healed, 10 slash 14. Uh, I think it's, it's just, it's the most beautiful thing. Happy tears, happy, happy, ugly cry tears all the fucking way. Now, I do still have a few questions. Um, because how can you watch a Doctor Who episode and not have a couple of questions? <laughs> If I don't get answers for him, I'll live. Um, but my first question is, and this is an honest question, how long, like, has, uh, by generation, because they just kind of casually mentioned that it's always been a myth. And, oh, but here it is. I have no problems with myths becoming a reality. Uh, I feel like that's very kind of common in, like, storytelling, lores. Like, all these stories are maybe based off of something at one point, and, like the game of telephone gets all skewed and misheard, misrepeated, misrepresented. So I don't have a problem with the bi-generation becoming a an actualized thing, going from myth to a real thing. My question is, is how long has bi-generation been a myth within the series? Like, always like going back to classic who or was it something maybe introduced uh, in the comics or audio series or is it just brand new for this season uh because that's like i said i don't have a problem with it i guess i just would have liked a little bit more explanation and maybe maybe we'll get a bit more throughout the next season who knows but that was just kind of like really like my main question anyway that's just me overthinking science fiction. Uh, I'm fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> and then because I can't stop doom scrolling through social media, uh, I saw some people complaining about Shooty and, quote, flamboyant doctor and how it's the worst. Um, and I think it has to do with one of the promo shots or clips or trailers. Um 
showing the next doctor in a club, in a kilt, spinning around, enjoying life. I don't know why that's a problem. The 11th doctor can dance at weddings, do his weird giraffe, awkward dance, and that's fine. Uh, apparently, they just have a problem with kilts because some folks don't know the difference between a kilt and a skirt. Um, but it's just, it's so dumb. How is just Doctor Who in general not, like, just flamboyant? I mean, the Doctor and the TARDIS are dramatic as fuck. Everything about the Doctor's ex uh, existence is fairly flamboyant. It's the worst. It's worse than when the companions question the new face of their Doctors. Uh, Rose and Clara being the first two that come to mind, right? Uh, but I feel like, I feel like these people just need to shut up. And just keep watching, give it a chance, because who knows? Maybe they'll end up being more like Rose and want to fuck them before the end of the episode. So, chill. You know, or at the very least, just want to hug them like Clara did. But I don't understand how Doctor Who is not flamboyant. Uh, one of the most dramatic alien races. I mean, just look at how the Time Lords dress. And their big fancy robes and their collars, how arrogant they are about their alien race. Um, the the long-ass scarf of the past doctor, Fez, uh, a bright yellow TARDIS interior with 13 uh, sonic glasses. Doctors burning the suns and using their last minutes on mates are all pretty dram dramatic and flamboyant. Sending postcards to yourselves and your soon-to-be wife, past wife, you know, just with the Eleven and River, their timelines and yada yada. Like, I don't know. I, I think we know what they're actually saying. And it's just like, just, just fucking say it. Just say it. So at least then we know what type of person we are dealing with instead of these vague criticisms. Because it's not even a criticism. And within that thread, because again, I still have not learned to just leave well enough alone. <laughs> uh, this person is saying that the 60th will go down in history as a big disappointment. The final nail in the coffin for core base fans. And I'm sorry, but... Who the fuck are you talking about? Who exactly are these core base fans? Why are there only, why are there core base fans? And then what are there other just fair weather fans? Am I not a core fan because I don't know classic who? Are you going to take my Whovian card from me? Um, I just got to say, you can fuck all the way off with your gatekeeping whiny ass bitchiness. Like, learn to deal. <laughs> like I clearly have not <laughs> but what the fuck the core fan core base fans core fan base or whatever like who the fuck do you think you are to divide to continue to put a divide within the fan all fan bases all fandoms are gonna have divides and you know, we all know that, like, the Star Wars fans are, like, the worst, right? That fan base can be, like, one of the most toxic ones. I'm slowly seeing that apparently Doctor Who as well. Why do people have problems with these things in science fiction? <laughs> it's science fiction. Holy fuck. This, the way you can interpret that is that if you liked it, you're not a core fan. 
it's just it's so it's 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 mean it's incorrect it's hurtful it belittles any other fan and their taste and you're saying that you and these core fan bases that don't like it you guys get to be again the gatekeepers of the series and get to say what's okay what will work and what won't work within the world of doctor who and i'll say it one more time you can fuck all the way off so i know that wasn't the most like articulate of me <laughs> but seriously what the fuck is that bullshit Ugh. the fuck is that supposed to mean what do you mean you people anyway i will leave it at that so uh that is going to do it for me. I have taken up enough time. I have talked enough for today uh, about the giggle. Now, if I need to rank these three episodes from fave down, it's hard to do, isn't it? Oh, let's see. Because again, Starbeast has the reintroduction. I just absolutely loved Sylvia. I mean, really all the characters that we are reintroduced to and introduced to do amazing jobs. Uh, they're all just, they're all fantastic. Uh, Wild Blue Yonder, again, just classic new who creepy. But then this one, because we get the regeneration... We get a fun twist on a myth of the bi-generation. And we get the new doctor. And 10 slash 14 gets to retire and is loving life and is the happiest he's ever been. And that's all we ever really want for the doctor. And I'm going to go ahead and at least today, <laughs> I reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> Uh, I, <laughs> I'm going to say today that it's going to go, oh, fuck, this is hard. The Giggle, the Star Beast, and Wild Blue Yonder. But again, very interchangeable. <laughs> and that's how it is. It's kind of how I am with like the Christmas holiday specials. I, uh, it's hard to narrow down to like, even a top three. And like my top three can change all the time. So I'm very, very wishy-washy that way. It's very dependent on my mood and how I'm feeling. But we, so we'll, we shall see how, we shall see if the giggle will maintain my favorite out of the three throughout more and more rewatches. But until then, bubblies, whovians, um, yeah. That's going to do it for me today. I think I've taken up enough of your time and my time, and I think I've spent enough time annoying the cat. So I would love it if you let me know what you thought of today's episode, uh, or if you have any suggestions for future episodes, uh, you can go ahead and send an email to mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. Uh, you can s make sure... <laughs> uh, don't forget to follow me on all the socials. So again, still over at Twitter, doom scrolling, um, as at streaming bubble, uh, no my in that, but I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and threads as my streaming bubble. 
So you can give me follows there. You can shoot me messages there. Let me know what you think. Let me know if I missed anything. I'm sure I did. Uh, let me know of any lore, like again, with the bi generation. Is that, has that always been a thing or is this brand new for the series? I don't care. I'm just very, very curious uh, because I don't know Classic Who or the comics and audio series. But most importantly, don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast wherever you get your podcast fix. And as always, Bubblies, thank you so much for listening and keep streaming. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming.